Well, good morning. It's good to be here uh, with you this morning. Uh, for those that don't know me, my name is Scott, and uh, my family and I have been attending Kankakee First here for about uh, about eight months now, and uh, and it's been a lot of fun. We're so thankful for the way you kind of welcomed us into the church family. Uh, our kids love going here; um, they're having a blast. Um, my uh, my eldest daughter Ellie, she's done uh, archery with the the K one sports thing. And uh, now they're uh, teaching her with some science and, and math how to blow things up. <laughs> so you guys are teaching my child all sorts of ways to kill us. So well done on that. Uh, that's why we chose this place. We felt very welcomed here. Uh, when Andrew asked if I'd be willing to preach, um, I said I was happy to do that, uh, but acknowledged that um, Andrew has never heard me preach before. And, uh, and he said, yeah, but I've heard you talk, and you talk well. I don't know what it is about Andrew Twible, but he says something like that, and you're like, yeah, that makes complete sense. I, 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 do, I, I talk well, so I, I guess. So uh, he has that, that ability to, you spend 10 seconds with the guy, you feel like a million bucks, you know? And so uh, I'm happy to be here today, thankful, humble by the opportunity, but excited for what God has for us today. So last week, we began a series on one mission, one story. And so when I think about one mission, one story, and uh, Tim just kind of helped us see both not only the, the local level, but also the national level and the international level of where we want to make an impact as a church. And so my mind goes to the launch of the church at the beginning of Acts. And so I thought of two separate passages, uh, one in Acts 1.8 and one in Acts 8.1, and I had never really made a connection between those two passages of Scripture before. And don't you love when God does that to you? I mean, passages that you've read over and over and over throughout your whole life, and then all of a sudden he reveals something to you, and it, it kind of blows your mind. And so uh, today we're going to look at a couple of different things. In the first chapter, we find the call of Jesus on his disciples to go out, and then a little later on, the catalyst for what pushes them out. So as we begin this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, uh, for this opportunity today to be in your presence. We thank you for your spirit that's in this place. And uh, as we hear a, a message today, uh, my hope is that it's a message that comes from you. Uh, it's, always a, it's always a humbling place to stand as your mouthpiece to your people. And so I pray that you purify my heart, purify my mind, and, and keep me in check as I speak today. And I pray that we would all have ears to hear what it is that you want us to hear today. We want to leave this place differently. We don't want to come in, uh, fill our religious obligation, and then walk out the door exactly the same. We want to leave knowing that we've met with the true and the living God today. So may that be so. It's in your name we ask it. Amen. So uh, reading in Acts 1, let's start in verse 6. And it says this, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord... Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So as we, uh, we kind of ease in here, uh, you, you don't know me uh, fully, and so let me give you a, a little bit uh, of background on me. It's a little crazy to me that I'm even here. 
this is coming home for me, uh, moving back here. Uh, I grew up in Mantino, and uh, I was away for about 15 years in some different ministry assignments, and then uh, I, I come back, and it's, it's really odd because it's like things haven't changed, but everything's changed. Does that make sense? Like everything kind of looks the same, but my role and my perspective on everything is completely different now. Uh, my commute to work is University Avenue. We live uh, right across the street from the football field, and then my office is right across the street from Shine.fm. And so uh, I, I find myself all the time as I'm driving down that street reflecting on the memories that I made while I was in college. And that's where a lot of life changes happened for me. Uh, I got called to ministry there. I met my wife there. There she is, right there, sat next to her in, uh, in Orpheus Choir. Uh, we built lifelong relationships while we were at Olivet. But changes happened, uh, as time will do. And so uh, I'm not going to school as a student anymore. I'm teaching a class at Olivet. What has happened to the bar <laughs> that I'm asked to come and teach a class at Olivet? But it is what it is. Uh, I was a church music major. I did my music internship uh, here at Kankakee First in 2002 or 2003, somewhere in there. And uh, I led worship one time from this, uh, from this platform, uh, vowing that I would never preach. And so that's the lesson of never tell God you won't do something, because uh, it tends to happen. Uh, this is the one that hurts the most. I find myself going to chapel voluntarily now. And I really feel like I've let down college, Scott. And, uh, and so a couple weeks ago, I went, to, uh, I went to a chapel, and the speaker was uh, Michael Jr., and he was uh, a comedian. And uh, he explained something that uh, I want to share with you. And uh, he talked about the art of comedy, that there's a setup, and then there's a punchline. And the setup is when a comedian uses all of his talents, talents and resources to seize any opportunity to ensure that the audience is moving in the same direction. The punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way you weren't expecting. So when you catch on to this change, you've received the punchline. And this results in revelation, fulfillment, and joy expressed through laughter. Okay, so let me give you an example of this. I'm going to tell you a, a fairly familiar joke, but it'll, it'll help. Uh, what is worse than finding a worm in your apple? Getting eaten by a bear. Yeah. Yeah. Really is worse. It is. See, we were going that direction, and then we, we went back the other way. Do you ever get the sense that Jesus kind of understood this concept? It seems that he's constantly walking with people that are expecting one thing to happen, but he changes direction on them. And then when those that follow him stay the course, they experience revelation. They experience fulfillment. Maybe not always laughter. It happens to us, right? We're going one way, living life, then God reveals something to us. We find revelation and fulfillment, and things that were very foggy to us for a season start to become clear. The disciples are about to experience that kind of moment. They ask the question, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Still hanging on to some old school ways of thinking. Now, this could be in reference to Matthew 19 when Jesus said, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 
So they wonder if this time has finally come. And can you really blame them for thinking this? I mean, the guy was crucified, dead for three days, resurrected. Now he's been hanging out with them. You're kind of expecting some major things to continue happening, right? And so um, it can't be the end of it. So they think uh, we finally get what we've been waiting for. Central to Old Testament faith was the belief that God would, in the end time, fully restore his people to their inheritance in the land of Israel, where they would live securely without foreign domination. Now, we might look at that and think, that's a pretty self-absorbed concept of who Jesus is. That they would rule, they would be protected and safe, that they wouldn't experience hardship, that that's why he came. I mean, we would never do that today, right? We would never have an expectation that we should never experience pain or hardship or struggle because we wear the name of Christ, right? That's not us. This isn't the kingdom that Christ came to establish. Cindy talked last week about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, that we are a new creation in Christ, and we are now his ministers of reconciliation to the world. See, Jesus' thoughts were not on just those standing in front of him, but knowing the weight of the burden that he carried, his thoughts went all the way to you. His thoughts went all the way to me and every person that ever was or is to come. The disciples thought Christ would restore the kingdom to Israel, but Christ came to set up his own kingdom, a kingdom of heaven, not to restore an earthly kingdom to Israel. And so to do that, he asked for some help. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1.8 sets out clearly what the church is to be doing until Jesus returns by giving us the resources, the content, and the scope of the task. And can I just say I really appreciate that Jesus lays out a plan. Like it drives me crazy when, when somebody complains about something but then they don't want to offer a solution or they don't want to offer to be part of the solution. Jesus lays out exactly what it is that we're supposed to be doing. He always gives us what we need. That's why, that's why Paul says his grace is sufficient. What he provides to the disciples is what he provides to us each day. Sufficient means just enough. And he's going to give them just enough to do the task that he's calling them to. The essential resource is the Holy Spirit, who will come on them at Pentecost. After this happens, they'll receive the supernatural ability to work miracles, to preach effectively with a bold witness that will produce conviction. And the scope, take it everywhere. It's not just for Jerusalem. It's not just for one people group. It's supposed to go everywhere. So the commission they've been given is to be a witness to everything Jesus has done to all people. All people. Why did he have to do that? I mean, it's a lot easier to just love the people that are like us, right? And a lot of times those are the people that we're going to naturally run into. Those are the people we're in sports leagues with. They're the, the people we run into at, at school functions. It's the regulars at the restaurants that we go to. But Jesus reminds us we also have to be intentionally looking for the people that God is bringing across our path that might not be the person we would naturally talk to. It's not the person from the radically different culture on the other side of the world that's hardest to love, but the nearby neighbor whose skin color, language, values, and beliefs 
are different from our own. Jesus called his disciples to go to all people, and he calls us to do the same. And then, Jesus out. He ascends into heaven. That's kind of the mic drop moment, right? He's just, he's just gone. And so uh, I, I kind of wish that, that we had a little more uh, of the disciples' thoughts in that moment. Like, were they good at that point? Were they able to hear that, hear the words that Jesus had for them, and go, thank you, we will be about our, your father's business, you know, we're, we're good. Uh, I would think that maybe they were yelling at him as he was going up, like, are you sure this is, this, this is what you're calling us to do? Um, this isn't one of those parable things, right, like, where you're saying it's kind of like this, but it really means not that, you know. Um, is it possible that they were like jumping, trying to get sucked up into that wave that's pulling him up into heaven? You never know. It could happen. We do know that they were caught looking. Verses 10 and 11, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I never want to get caught looking. That's the worst in softball, right? Right, Butch? You don't want to get caught looking. Swing a bat. Yeah. Uh, by the way, softball signups are out. Is that right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a plug for Butch. Oh, and a, plug for, and a plug for small groups as well, because Josh told me if I mention small groups, I get a $5 Starbucks gift card. So... Cheers. All right. So um, we don't want to get caught looking. Sometimes inaction feels safer than swinging, especially when we don't know what the call is going to be. But the men in white tell them, don't just stand around. He'll come back. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus comes back, I want him to find me doing the things that he asked me to do. Matthew 24, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day our Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. So the disciples know what it is they're supposed to do. I'll give you power. Conquer the world. We got this, right? And they get to work. So Acts 2 happens, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and uh, the word is spoken in other languages so that all that are gathered there understand it. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Over the next few chapters, we see miracles and opportunities to testify to God's power and the sacrifice of Jesus. But it's about this time that the church begins to be persecuted. Fast forward probably a year or two by some estimates, and now we arrive in chapter 8. Stephen is stoned with rocks. You'll get that about lunchtime. <laughs> and chapter 8, 1 starts with this. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. It's believed that up until this point, the testimony of the church had remained in Jerusalem. It's at this time that the forces of persecution pushed the witnesses out past the boundaries of Jerusalem. Did they know what it 
Did they know that this is what it was going to look like? They wanted Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel on earth, thinking that by defeating death, that Jesus was now going to be the Messiah that they hoped he was supposed to be. They thought the battle was over. The establishment of the kingdom of Israel was going to mean peace and stability for them. Jesus was going to reign on his throne, protecting them. Instead, the battle's just begun. The disciples wanted probably what we all want. Peace, comfort, security. But Jesus has reminded them with his life and his commission that the way of Christ is not comfort. The way of Christ is the cross. So what was the effect of this persecution? They were all scattered, except the apostles. They remained in Jerusalem. They dispersed themselves throughout the regions of Judea and of Samaria. Now, when you first read that, uh, you, you might start to think, well, it's just like when they arrested Jesus, that they scattered and they ran. This time, it's a little more strategic. They aren't scattering so much out of fear of sufferings, but because Jesus had told them that they must be his witnesses in Jerusalem first, and then in all Judea and in Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. And they do it. The very persecution that sought to eradicate the Christian movement is what drives the expanded witness and outreach beyond Jerusalem and even Judaism. It was as if Saul tried, tried to extinguish a fire by stomping on it, but then he just kind of scattered the embers, and it kept going. So here's what struck me this week. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8 that they were going to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if I'm in their shoes, my first thought is promotion, you know. Um, I, I've gone from being a disciple to a witness. I've got a new title. Uh, I get to see the world, so my travel budget has just gone up. And, and now I have power. Like, this is just winning all over the place, right? Uh, but that's not how it turns out. It's not winning at least from an earthly perspective. Acts 8.1, they do end up going to Judea and Samaria, but as Jesus said, uh, but it's not because they're being so successful in Jerusalem that the movement is expanding out. It's because of persecution that they go, and the words of Jesus from Acts 1 are fulfilled. Things didn't happen the disciples' way, but they still stayed the course. What do you do when God doesn't do it your way? Can you trust that he has a bigger plan? We like peace and safety. We may be called to walk a path of persecution. Will you stay the course and go? So let's bring it home to us. Uh, Tim showed this earlier. We have a core value called missional living. We believe that what happens here doesn't stay here. The church doesn't exist for us. We are the church and we go. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, ends of the earth. I like to think of that in terms of here, there, and everywhere. Jerusalem was kind of their local context. Judea and Samaria was a little bit larger. And then ends of the earth is everywhere. And that's kind of what we're doing here. So if we think of, we might consider Kankakee to be our Jerusalem. That's, that's our first point of impact. It's all around us. There are tons of opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ, and we're going to talk about some of those tangible ways we do that next week. Last week, we talked about the ends of the earth. We're partnering with our friend in the work that he and his family are doing overseas. We have had the opportunity to support them financially, 
Uh, we have the opportunity maybe to do some work in witness trips. Those are really good things. So the question for today, what is our Judea and Samaria? Practically, it's, uh, it's uh, what Tim talked about with the Forge Flint Project. And if you have any questions about that, Brandon's your guy. Uh, there's a, a trip that's going to be happening in July uh, with that. But it also has some more backing behind it. It goes deeper than just um, going and doing the work. You've got to know why we're doing the work. Why are we being called to do the things that we're doing? For us, going to Judea and Samaria could be described as determining how we are going to interact with people that don't look, act, sound, or believe the way that we do. Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles were very different people groups. They didn't always get along. Human nature has not changed. The same kind of struggles exist in our world. So, do you have people you avoid because they don't look or act like you? Maybe they don't hold the same values that you do. When Jesus calls you to have a conversation with someone, how far are you willing to go? What does sacrifice look like to you? At our ordination service this year, uh, we ordained 11 elders on our district, which was pretty incredible. Um, and it was a neat service to be a part of. And uh, each individual has the opportunity to, um, after the general superintendent has uh, prayed his blessing over them and, and ordained them, uh, to have a minister that's, that's been impactful in their lives to pray a prayer over them. And uh, one unique thing that happened this year was we had several parents that were ordained ministers that were asked to pray those prayers. And there was one that really stuck out to me. And I want to share the end of that prayer with you. It was a father praying for his son, and he said this. Lord Jesus, his mother and I have always prayed this. You take him wherever you want him to go. Have him do whatever you want him to do. Have him give whatever you want him to give. If you take him to a faraway place that's very dangerous and he has to bleed and he has to die for the name of Jesus Christ, when we hear about it back home in Mississippi, we will not ask the question why. We will sing at the top of our lungs, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Lord Jesus, do with this boy what you want to do. In the name of Jesus, we ask that you'll bless him to be a blessing to the nations. In Jesus' strong name we pray, amen. I believe the conversation that Ann and I have had afterward was, man, that guy's legit, right? <laughs> Are we willing to pray that prayer over our own lives? Are we willing to pray that prayer over our children? For you, is the cause of Christ worth dying for? How serious are we in fulfilling the call that God gave to his disciples to go to people that don't know and need the love of Jesus. That call extends to us today. The way of Christ is not comfort. The way of Christ is the cross. So will you go where God calls you to go? Are you spending the kind of time you need to be spending with him so that you can hear him when he calls? Jesus commissioned his disciples to go into Judea and Samaria to bring the good news to people that needed to hear it. Is there any place you're unwilling to go or any person that you're unwilling to talk to? Break down the barriers. We serve a God that calls and equips. 
It may not be easy. It may come at tremendous sacrifice. But consider the sacrifice that was made for you and know that he who calls you to go is faithful.